Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. I'm trying to get out of verse 3, 4, and 5, but we'll see. I will at least read past those in hopes that we can get beyond them. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So we're going to back up to that phrase again in verse 4. It says, Who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. I want to start with some highlights of some books I've been reading. Um, three highlights. I've been reading a book called Who Gets to Narrate the World by Robert Weber. And Robert Weber said this. He said, the most pressing spiritual issue of our time is this. Who gets to narrate the world? Who gets to narrate the world? Gordon Fee, who was a pastor, then became a theologian. If you've ever read a Bible commentary um, outside of a John MacArthur study Bible, you have read the work of Gordon Fee. When he was asked later in his life, he passed away recently, when he was asked later in his life what he would emphasize if he returned to pastoral ministry, he said this, and this is a man who was a pastor, went through the, the, the weeds of, of biblical studies, and then at the end was at a roundtable discussion at Regent College where a young seminarian said, Dr. Fee, if you were to pastor again, what would you emphasize? And he said this, no matter how long it might take, I would set about with a single passion to help a local body of believers recapture the New Testament church's understanding of itself as an eschatological community. Well, I'll be dog. Because we're sitting here thinking, we probably would need that. I know most of the time when I'm in conversation with people and I say, in what way would you like to see the church serve you better? They say, where you guys are failing is in developing us as a, an eschatological community. 
We don't understand ourselves, Cody, properly the way the New Testament did as an eschatological community. Thus, we are hindered. How many of y'all have had this conversation over and over and over again at work, on Facebook? How many of y'all, when I say the New Testament church's understanding of itself as an eschatological community, say, what? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Rodney Clapp. I've read a lot of books this week, so y'all going to have to hold tight. Rodney Clapp has a book called New Creation. Highly recommend it. Um, I always want these books to be Wednesday books, but then there's 15 other ones I want to do, and then we never do them. Here's a good one to read. If you want to, to have a good biblical perspective of the whole story of Scripture, where we are in time, this book by Rodney Clapp called New Creation, A Primer on Living in the Time Between the Times. A Primer on Living in the Time Between the Times. Some folks pronounce it primer, but that is incorrect. You're welcome. We are storied creatures. We are storied creatures. And everything happens because we lean toward endings. Everybody say endings. Now this is where we got to go back to our other statement. To be an eschatological community, we are a community who is directed toward an end. That's what it means to be an eschatological community. Y'all with me now? So there's a famous book written, who knows when, I think it was late 80s, maybe early 90s. If If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by a guy named Stephen Covey. And one of Stephen Covey's habits that he encourages highly effective people to adopt is to begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. This is the only way to actually be productive is to begin with an end in mind. The whole key to understanding the story of Scripture is to understand where the story is going. So where's the story going? The whole key for us understanding who we are supposed to be is to understand where, what our role is in making this story become what it is supposed to become. What is our role? Here's where we're gonna, I'm going to start playing out some scenarios. So, if you were told that the book of Left Behind, the Left Behind series written by the great Tim LaHaye and somebody Jenkins, if you were told that that movie and, and the great... Uh, uh, display of film that, that Brother Kirk Cameron showed us, if you, were, if you were convinced that that is how the end is going to play out, you will live a certain way. In what way will you live? I was talking to Rusty. Rusty, he always uses these uh, car scenarios. He says, you know, we was riding in an 84 Buick LeSabre. So I don't remember if that's the car, but I'm going to say it anyway. So Rusty's riding around in an 84 Buick LeSabre with his grandmother. His grandmother turns around and looks at young Russell. I like to call him young Russell Sprouts. She comes and looks at young Russell. And she says, Russell, I don't know if she called him Russell, but she, she addresses him in the way she does. And she said, if I get raptured, I want you to grab the wheel first, throw the car in park, and let it come to a stop. That is a grandmother who is living as an eschatological person. Living with an awareness that there is a culminating end. Now, I've told this story before and I want to tell it again today. Boy, we've got a long way to go. And I didn't take the short route. Um, 
the story goes like this. There's a man, his name's Steve Ogden. This is a hypothetical story. A man, his name is Steve Ogden, who's a, he deals in restoring uh, 70 model, well, let's just call it the, the hot rod, not hot rod, what's it called? The uh, muscle car uh, Mopars. That's what he does. That's what Brother Steve does. And I have come across, let's say, a 1969 Dodge Challenger that I want to have restored that was handed to me by my father who was, hand, was handed to him by his father. I take it to Brother Steve. Brother Steve, this is what he does. what he's made for. He's made to restore these classic cars. I take it to him, and I have money, lots of it, in this story. So I take it to Steve, and I say, what's your shop rate? He says, well, we charge $125 an hour. I say, okay. I want my car to sit in your shop until this thing is exactly like it was in 1969, except with better stuff. And he says, that's going to take a while, and that bill's going to be high. I say, don't you worry about it. And so Steve is getting excited. He's, he's about to live into his existence with no limits. He's about to be given the fuel to do what he was made to do. And there's going to be no restriction. He's got plenty of money and plenty of time. He says, when do you want it done, sir? When it's done. Is there a limit on the, on the money? No limit. So here's Steve saying, there's no need to rush. There's no need to hurry. I can, I can turn the phones off for the next six months because I'm making $125 an hour in my shop. And this guy don't even care. I could just buff the side. He'd never know. And then I leave. I go to get in my car. 2007 Toyota Tacoma in the story. Because this is what you drive if you've got plenty of money. An older Toyota Tacoma. So I go and I, I get in the car. And I, I holler back at Steve. And I say, hey, Mr. Steve. Mopar Steve, I say. I say. When you finish her up, I'm taking her down to the scrapyard. We're going to crush it and burn it. So now Brother Steve is in a dilemma because he's made to restore these old cars. The end was going to be the restoration of this machine. And now what is the end? Destruction. If he begins with the end of destruction in mind, what is going to be the quality of his effort? Come on. It don't matter, it don't matter how good you are. If you know, well, I really don't have to worry about that because he's not going to drive it. I really don't have to worry about that because it doesn't have to stand the test of time. Or This is what has happened to Christians in our understanding of the end. There's no need to do anything on our part because when we die, we'll just be magically made perfect, so there's no need in cultivating that here. There's no need to worry about the, the earth. Where is, throw that out the window, right? That was trash, what I just threw out there. Litter. We'll flush diapers. <laughs> For instance. It doesn't matter because we know that our lot in this story is that as soon as things get bad, we get to get up out of here. We're gone. And once we're gone, then all hell's going to break loose. We know this because they told us in the Left Behind books. I'm going to tell you, I spent the last six years of my life act 
actively studying this Bible. I would bet in this room I have read this book more than everybody in here combined in the last five years. That's a, that's a hard wager. But I know how often I read it. And I will tell you what I have found is that that story I was sold as a kid does not seem to be in there. Oh, shoot. I told you I went the long way around. This ain't even in the notes. We are just right here. I'm going to show you right there on the notes. And none of this is in there. That's not good for me because we got a long way to go. So why do I tell you all this? Because we are a storied people who have to know what the end is like in order to know how we are to work now, in order to know the quality of our labor now. How many of y'all have had the impression that as soon as you die, you'll magically be made perfect? Anybody? What scripture did you get that from? That one that clearly says, Cody, that when you die, you will no longer, I don't know, If that were the case, right, then why would not conversion, the most sympathetic conversion God could ever offer those who are going to follow him would be death upon conversion. That's been the most sympathetic conversion ever. If, if the plan really were to get you to heaven so that then you could be made perfect, then the ideal setup would be the thief on the cross. And that doesn't seem to be the setup that God encourages. Now, we are a storied people. We must have meaning. How many of y'all have ever been in a place in your life where you felt like you didn't mean anything? Anybody? In that place, did you feel like you were making any progress? No, because the only way as a human we can progress is if we have this thing called hope. Without hope, there is no progress. Y'all with me? So in order for us to be a properly storied people, we have to have hope. And our hope has to be in something that is actually true. Now, is it a hopeful thing that you're going to get raptured before the fireballs start, start coming out of heaven? Is that hopeful? Well, heck yeah. Who don't want that? I do want that. I'm just telling you, we don't get a lot of that in Scripture. Am I saying that Am I saying that people don't get raptured? Absolutely not. Okay? Because here's what, we, some, something is going to happen according to the book of 1 Thessalonians where the trump will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first, which we'll stop there and, and just say that, oh shoot, we've missed it because where were they? If they were not in heaven, where were they? So we got a whole nother list of questions that we're not getting into today, right? That's exactly right. So Paul, Paul is trying to show us what God is doing. And God is doing something that, that we have missed because we've had an improper understanding of what it means to be saved. God, I'm getting myself in trouble this morning. I can tell. I don't even mean to do this. It is in there, obviously. So let's do a quick recap. A quick recap from last week so you can catch up. If you missed last week and you're like, what the heck, maybe this will help. Where are we in the story? If we are a storied people, what is the story and where are we in it? So here's where we are. The kingdom of God has already come 
in Christ Jesus. Okay. The end of all things, in the sense of both a goal and a terminus, is already upon us. Where's that out in Scripture, Cody? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Make yourself a note. Is Cody a heretic? Question mark. Must read 1 Corinthians 10, 11. And yet, people get sick, right? Does that sound like heaven? You could say, heck no, right? No, it doesn't sound like heaven. Um, people still die, whether tragically or peacefully in bed. Earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, and tornadoes still happen. Children still starve. Creation moans and chokes under the poisonous weight of carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere, and you wonder why I won't flush a diaper. I'm on it. Old wars constantly flare up and new wars continue to break out. Clearly, all is not yet right with the world. So what then does this mean with where we are in the story? Is Jesus king? When? So last week we talked about this. We said the gospel of Jesus is not a new way of being religious or a new way of getting to heaven but it's a message about something that actually happened in actual space-time history as a result of which the world that we currently live in is a different place. Now, why am I saying all this? Because Galatians chapter 1 says something crazy. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age. He set us free, delivered us from the present evil age. When? The gospel, we found out, is not some kind of formula to convert people 